Hey, I'm Courtney Brooke, and this is Hustle for Happiness podcast. We are all on this journey to find happiness, and let's face it, it takes work. And honestly, it's not always rainbows and butterflies. This podcast is dedicated to helping you navigate life and cut through the noise. As a certified life coach, recovering perfectionist, and survivor of the foster care system, I'm all about keeping things real. With my unique outlook on life that is truly infectious, we cover everything from achieving happiness and optimal self-care to stories of those sharing their wisdom and expertise. Thank you for showing up for yourself. Now, let's get started. When I first came to see Megan Jensen, I was dealing with several pelvic floor issues that I just had learned to accept as something I had to deal with. I was feeling very insecure in the bedroom due to the pain I was having during sex and really embarrassed by things like peeing when I sneezed or not being able to fully participate in my HIIT classes for the fear that I would pee my pants. (laughs) I thought that I just had to take the pain take the embarrassment and the discomfort, not realizing there may be an underlying cause or solution. Megan Jensen is a pelvic floor physical therapist who works at Vitality Women's Physical Therapy in Elmhurst, Illinois. She grew up in Michigan and went to Central Michigan University for her undergraduate degree. She competed on CMU's gymnastics team belonging to All-American on the uneven bars her senior year, despite a history of three ACL surgeries. And that's when I knew I needed to connect with Megan. Not only being a former gymnast, competitive cheerleader, I felt that I could be really heard. And I connected with her as a doctor, a friend, and someone who I could really trust. After graduation, she pursued her fifth grade dream of becoming a physical therapist at Northwestern University. As a PT, she talks about sex, poop, pee, and pregnancy with her patients. When she's not at the clinic, she's working out at her CrossFit gym, seeing a movie with her husband, or cuddling with her two cats. Megan helped bring so much light to so many things that I was experiencing, and that actually I found out were very common, and that there is actually nothing wrong with me. It's just that pelvic floor health is often overlooked or misunderstood. Through our discussion today, I hope to normalize these experiences and spread more awareness. Since I know firsthand how the lack of information can lead men and women to feel alone with issues they think they have to silently adore, that is not true. And that's what I want to shed light on. And here I introduce Megan Jensen. We are live. Megan, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Courtney. I can't wait. So let's just get straight into it and tell us exactly what pelvic floor therapy is. Because when I first came to you, like I said in the intro, but when I first came, to you, I didn't really know what I needed to be there for. And then I was like, wait, there's this whole world of pelvic therapy. Yes. Unfortunately, not many people know about us. The word is getting out. Thank goodness. But we, like I say, we go over head to toe, everything from how you're moving, how your muscles are working. We just know a whole lot more about this area. And I'm pointing to my pelvis and my hips right now. And why is it so important? Is it just for females? Is it? I mean, men have pelvic pelvic 
too. <laughs> they do. Yes, they do. So the common misconception is that pelvic floor physical therapy is only for someone who's pregnant or even just someone who's postpartum to do a bunch of Kegels and squeeze their muscles so that they can feel better with just that muscle down there. Yeah. And there's a whole other world to pelvic floor physical therapy. Everything from teaching you about your anatomy, teaching you about your hormones, stuff about poop, stuff about pee. So a whole a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. So it's not just for women who have had a baby. Correct. Yes. It's for those who are younger. It's for those who are thinking about getting pregnant. It's for men. It's for anyone who is in any gender confirming care. It is for older adults. It yeah. is for everyone under the sun. And so when you when I first came and saw you, like I was like, okay, I'm going to start prepping for pregnancy. Little did I know it actually was my whole past following me up to that moment I was sitting in your office. And, you know, you said it's for anyone from menopause to pregnancy to can someone go during pregnancy too? Yes, absolutely. So why don't we start with just the basics yeah. of kind of what the anatomy is and what the pelvic floor even is. So if you are in your car or if you're sitting or if you're on a walk, I want you to just picture your two butt bones. That's if you sit on someone's lap and they're like, oh, you've got a bony butt. Those are the bones I'm talking about. So that's your left and right. And then in the front, think about your pubic bone. So that hard spot in front. And then in the back, think about your tailbone. So if you think about those four corners, kind of like a baseball diamond. Okay. Everything in between is your pelvic floor area. So all of your muscles lie down there. Think about your three holes if you're a vagina owner, so that urethra, vaginal opening, and rectum. And all of that composes your pelvic floor. In order for it to work really well, it needs to squeeze and lift up. So it needs to squeeze and close those holes and to lift up all of your organs. So it's in charge of a lot down there. Yeah, there's like a whole, it's complex. It's complex. In a simple way, you just squeeze and release it. Throughout most of our day, we need to be able to relax it. That's another myth. People think it needs to be tight all the time. Oh. And so basically when you first come in, I don't know if you remember, I taught you, I pulled out the model, yep. showed you how those muscles work, showed you kind of like where they are. And a lot of times this is something that people have never seen before. They sometimes have never even looked at their own pelvic floors themselves. Yeah. And I kind of went in there thinking like, Shouldn't I have been taught this in high school or what we say, sex ed? Like, you think that I should know my my anatomy of my body and like that pressure, again, this society says is tight, 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 tight. And it's like, you've taught me, no, you need to actually relax. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And I went there um, to you also for going to the bathroom. Like, I was going every 20 minutes. Is that normal? Like, is that something... Other people you've seen come in with those same kind of urinary problems? Yeah. So unfortunately, as <laughs> as women particularly, we weren't taught very many positive things about our pelvic floor. For some reason, we were just taught to go to the bathroom all the time. Go to the bathroom before we leave the house. Go to the bathroom before we go to bed. Go to the bathroom as we're leaving Target. The only part of that that's true is to go pee after sex. That one's true. Keep doing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. But all the other times, you should really only go to the bathroom when you have that true urge to pee, not just because you have a slight urge or just because your mom told you you should. Yeah. I think what you told me was the just in case method. Like she like dropped the going just in case. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how many times have I told myself, I need to go to the bathroom just in case I need to go, just in case. And 
What is that actually doing to our bodies? Yeah. So our bladders are like little brains. So whatever we teach our bladders to do, they will follow suit. So if we are teaching our bladder to give us that signal to go to the bathroom as soon as we get home, then you are going to have that urgency signal sent to your brain all the time. We even nickname that one key and door syndrome. So as if you're trying to unlock your door as you're on your way home, then you're going to send that urge signal to your brain. And is is it actually weakening our bladders? I guess it sounds like we are if we're doing that constantly or is it just teaching our body? What is that? Yeah. So think of that one more as electrical signals, less so a weakness in terms of what we would generally think about a weak muscle. It's more so that training of our bladder that's uh, disrupted, if you will, which means good news that we can train it. So as we work on different skills together, we can lengthen the amount of time that you are going to the bathroom. And so it's not 20 minutes anymore, but it becomes a half hour, an hour. And think about the freedom that so many people would get if they don't have to always think about where the bathroom is. I mean, for me, that's I have to know where a bathroom is within my 20 minute radius. And we've been working on that. And for me, it's it's a mental thing. It's um. It's how long do I have until I have to go? And I feel like there might be other people out there, but what are some techniques for those who find themselves going to the bathroom? How can they build their bladder tolerance? That's very good. Yes, that's a very (laughs) good way to word it. Yes, (laughs) it is not a strength thing that they need to build up their bladder muscle here. So honestly, a lot of times once women learn that they don't have to go or they're not going to get a UTI if they don't immediately go, that changes a lot right there. So first, it's that education that it is not normal to go to the bathroom sooner than every two to four hours on average. So if you're out there and you're going to the bathroom every half hour, hour, listen up. So first, it's not normal to go that often. I want you to stop and breathe and distract yourself. And that oftentimes is all that somebody needs. So doing a simple task before you think you have to go. Like mine was like, oh, I'm gonna take the trash out or go do laundry or call my mom. Simply like- (laughs) Although she might tell you to go to the bathroom. (laughs) I know, just in case. Yes. (laughs) And then you're like, no mom. And then there's a whole conversation. No, I think that is another great one. One other tool that you really taught me was if you have multiple bathrooms, say you're like, I was running into the house, really needing to go to the bathroom. You're like, try not going to the same bathroom, but creating a different route almost. Yeah. Yep. Or go in through a different door in your house when you get home. Or let's say you have a tendency as soon as you pull into your garage, for instance, you start to get that urge. urge yeah. What if you stayed in the car and finished listening to your podcast episode or, yes, <laughs> or yes. finished or made a call or something before you stepped into the house to really disregard that pattern that you've set with your bladder? Okay. So I think like That is a huge thing, at least for me, too, to know that society says you're supposed to go just in case. And I think a lot of us have that. Yes. I make the joke that we love our mothers and our grandmothers, but they didn't exactly teach us all the right things about our bladder. And so I get a lot of pushback sometimes. Sometimes people are almost mad at me that I'm telling them this. It's like, 
but I, I trusted my mom and my grandma. Like yeah. that's what, like they're fine, right. aren't they? Right. Well, maybe we'll get to how fine they right. might not be. But, because I yeah. think this is, and this is why exactly why I wanted to have you on the episode. Like there are so many gems that within our sessions that we had that I had to rewire my whole childhood, rewire my todayhood, adulthood. I don't know how much I want to say I'm an adult, but like- <laughs> Your present life. My yeah. present life. Um, So outside of urinary, um. Would it be incontinence or urgency? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some other signs that someone might need some TLC for their pelvic floor? Well, we've discussed one hole, so we might as well move on to the other hole. Yes. The other hole. The other vent. <laughs> the other hole. Yes. <laughs> so let's go to the backside first. So that anus or your butthole where yep. your poop comes out of. A lot has to happen in our bodies for that poop to be ready to go. It's not just that it all of a sudden exits our body all nice and smooth, but you've got to think about that whole chain. So do you have working teeth? Can you swallow your food? Do you have uh, a throat without any ulcers in it? Mm. Is your stomach in a good place to process that food? Are your small and large intestines uh, have enough water and nutrients within them to get that poop or the bolus is the technical term there, that bolus to flow through our bodies. And then once it gets to the exit, can your pelvic floor muscles relax enough to be able to exit? So unfortunately, as a pelvic floor physical therapist, I'm not treating your teeth. I might treat your jaw, but not your teeth. And I'm not treating your ulcers. So sometimes we do have to ask other providers to step in and help us Mm. out with that. But once it gets to the end of the train, it's all on us. It's all that pelvic floor relaxation and are those pelvic floor muscles working correctly in order to let the poop go. Right. And I, I, me personally, can only go off of my experience with the pain that I experience of, you know, being constipated or post-traveling. There's inflammation and bloating and, you know, certain foods or even like you said, it's down to the digestion what is that? A, those are all symptoms of someone realizing that their pelvic floor is off. Yeah, it could be. And it's kind of up to us to figure out. Um, we're a good provider to help you figure out what the next step is. So it could be that your pelvic floor muscles are more in that too tight, overactive state. Mm-hmm. And we need to work on relaxing them. And so we're talking about like constipation right now. Mm-hmm. But we also might talk about someone who's pooping uh, five, six, seven times a day. That's also not normal three times a day is about normal Mm -hmm. and about every third day on the other side of things. So if you find yourself only having like two bowel movements a week, I'd love to see you in the clinic. Yeah. Um, Or if you're having more than three a day, same thing. So it could show up in um, either side of that spectrum, but we really want to make sure that those pelvic floor muscles are relaxing enough so that the poop can exit. And if someone doesn't have a pelvic floor therapist and they're just tuning in and really just starting their pelvic floor journey with this episode specifically, what are things that they could do to help with that constipation or that discomfort or to get regular or um, just increase their digestion like that? So um, hopefully you learned something new every time you came into one of your sessions, Courtney. I did. did. And hopefully one of those things was whenever I asked you a question, the right answer was almost always breathing. Yeah. (laughs) And it's crazy how much it like is so connected and I didn't even know. Yeah. So the first tip, if someone is trying to work on their pelvic floor is figure out how to breathe. And I know you had recently had a a guest talking about breathing as well, right? Yeah, Johanna. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's all connected with stress and regulation and in your case, digestion and pelvic floor therapy. You mentioned 
chest breathing and stomach breathing. Yeah. I didn't know that there was a difference. And I'd love you to bring that to the guest of Hustle for Happiness is that technique right there. Sure. All right. So if you have the ability to put your hand over your belly, I want you to just feel if your breath is down that low. And I want you to notice if you're breathing through your nose or through your mouth and what part of your body is moving as you inhale. So as you inhale, I want you to think about sending that breath to three different places. That first place is the palm of your hand and your belly. The second is your rib cage out to the side. And the third place is down into your pelvic floor where we talked about earlier. So as you work on this good diaphragmatic breathing that allows your body to go into the rest and digest mode, that nervous system center that is the relaxed mode that allows your poop to flow through as it should, and it helps your pelvic floor muscles relax. So earlier I said you should breathe when you think you have a false urge, and now we have you've got to practice your breathing when you're having trouble pooping. And I think like we... I know at least I can go off my experiences. We're, we're tight, we're tense, we're stressed, we're thinking about, you know, society, especially in the United States, is a very fast-paced culture. Mm-hmm. Stress is a huge part of pelvic floor and digestion and breathing. That belly breathing, the benefits of that is so unreal. Yeah, it's pretty crazy how much difference I can make when I just teach someone how to let go of their stomach muscles. And this goes for all pelvic floor things that could go on. So, so far, we've got anything urine related, if you're leaking or if you're going to the bathroom too much. And with bowel movements, we've got if you're going too much or if you're leaking or if you're working with constipation. But that other thing is pain with sex, is pain with inserting a Mm. tampon. And absolutely, if you are walking around clenching your ab muscles or trying to hold your stomach muscles in all day, that can make a huge impact on how your pelvic floor is working. And I think touching on that point of having pain during sex, that's not a normal thing. Right. That is, it's not normal to have sex. I'll say it. It's not normal to have pain, pain. with sex. It is normal to have sex. <laughs> it's normal to have sex. I'm like, wait, tell me more. <laughs> I'm like, wait, I want to have sex. No, <laughs> yes, please. But I don't want to yes. have pain during sex. And no why, pain. Why yes. is that not normal? Because I think the society of women just, it's so sad, but not just take it, but it's okay. You're okay. Yeah. It's supposed to feel like that. Right. I don't know why anybody would think pain is normal in a place where it should be pleasurable, which again, it's like, I think we need to flip that sentence of like, why have, why has anyone accepted that there is pain during sex? And so that's again, another piece, a nugget of information that I think shocks a lot of people in our clinic because they've had this perspective of, oh, that's just normal. That's just what I have to deal with. And now I'm pregnant and about to deliver. And now I'm just learning these things. Right. So it can be a huge wake up call to at least learn the thing first. And I think ever going down the sex talk is, you know, it also limits us from so much in the bedroom. When we are in that pain, how much of us don't want to have sex or try to avoid it or just, you know, it's not that fun. Oh, right. Right. And so when someone is having pain during sex, what is, What are your thoughts on that? Where does your mind go? Well, uh, if anyone's been listening so far, you know the answer is breathe first. Right. <laughs> so but- to work on that diaphragmatic breathing and to relax in the moment. Now, by no means am I saying just relax and have a glass of wine. It is not the end of the story. And again, unfortunately, too many people have been told if you have pain with sex, just relax and drink a glass of wine. That's not what I mean. What I mean is get in tune with your body and 
and realize where are you holding your tension? Are you clenching your legs together? Are you gripping at your stomach muscles and holding them really tight? Can you take a full relaxed breath in that moment? And that's the first thing to tune into. And then the second thing is to realize that sex is more than just the physical and you've got to have that right context Mm. to be in that moment to be able to think clearly to even relax. Yeah, and it's practicing that vulnerability piece because like saying to your partner, this this position doesn't feel good. You know, you see all these positions out there or you have that one position that your partner likes is communicating that, being vulnerable. That piece that I preach on is having that intimacy and being comfortable. Like you said, it's more than just sex and taking the pain. But you mentioned something in our session that because I was having pain during sex and it was in my right side and you really talked me through like breathing. Maybe my body needs to warm up. It How is sex not just another exercise that you need to warm up right, for? Right. I think, you know, there is a misconception that you need to just be ready for sex at all times, whether that be your mind ready for it and your body ready for it. Yeah. And why do we have that expectation on ourselves when we wouldn't expect that if we're trying to PR a lift or something yeah. like that? We would need to warm up mentally and physically even yeah. for a lift like that. Um, but yeah, warm up for sex could look like that mental or that physical piece. So I love suggesting naked partner yoga before sex with my patients. Wait, tell us more about this. Wait, (laughs) this is a new one. So, um, yeah, if you think about some yoga poses, they're kind of silly and funny to begin with, but if you and your partner are doing them naked together, it just adds to the laughter and the fun and just the giggliness of it. And it's also good for your pelvic floor. So a lot of yoga positions allow the pelvic floor muscles to relax easier. And so it's the perfect uh, warm-up foreplay. And it's super intimate. I mean, if someone isn't that comfortable or not that open, are there other exercises that someone that you recommend someone do before sex that is experiencing pain or to even be preventative and not get to the point where they are in pain? Is there any exercises you recommend? Yeah. So that's a loaded question because there are definitely so many things. Yeah. Um, One thing that I want to point out that a lot of really great sex educators like to point out is that unfortunately, again, if you were born in this world with a vagina, you weren't really encouraged to explore your own sexuality. Mm. You weren't really uh, advised on how to figure out what feels good for your own body or even if that was okay. And we have a ways to go from it being dirty to it being neutral, to it being actually encouraged, and we're just not there yet. So one of the first things I really like to suggest for my patients is to explore what feels good on their own bodies by themselves, actually, because then you have a much better and easier way to communicate with your partner about what feels good, what positions feel the best, and that's a great place to start. Um, After that, I can definitely help you out. We've got lots of great tools in pelvic floor physical therapy in order to move and stretch those muscles. That could be based off of some um, tools like literally silicone kind of toys that we use in uh, physical therapy. It could be part of our assessment to do an internal treatment session. So using a gloved lubed finger and stretching those muscles and then also working on all those body parts around it. So your hips, your back, and your ab muscles. I mean, our bodies are all connected and it's it's not like, oh, the pelvic floor is its own area. Like anything within, I feel like our skin, under our skin, we are all connected. It's not separate. And you know, you, you brought up a good point about 
society or when you have born with a vagina, like you can't explore. And I think being the explorer, being the advocate for your body and learning your body is huge. Do you see a lot of people that come in there and <laughs> question that philosophy right there? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Because again, so many people have that um, feeling of shame of even looking at their body. Mm. And so we've got to start with just that awareness, like, are you okay could I grab a mirror and you could we could look together? Mm. And that's honestly the first step that some people are ready for. And then they get excited. I see a lot of patients get excited learning about their bodies and wanting to know more. And I feel so blessed and honored to be in pelvic floor physical therapy because I get to show them, now let's figure out what else your body can do. And they get really excited. That is so crazy. Like you teach someone to love their body physically, right? Well, it's emotional too. Mm -hmm. But when you see the look, on, I mean, that's exactly why I love coaching is not the sexual side, but someone to love themselves and accept themselves for who they are and they are worthy and all of that stuff. But being sexual and having sex not just is not about just a partner. It's about with ourselves. Yes. And enjoying wow. that. Yeah. You know, we started this conversation talking about is it normal to have pain with sex? And no. But again, think about that spectrum that you are on. If you are having pain with sex, you first have to get to neutral. You first have to get right. to it just not being painful. And then you get to explore that pleasure side. And so thinking about it as a process and getting to that kind of other side, that enjoyment side is a huge success and celebration. It really is. And I think that I mean, it's it's beautiful to know that there are people like you to help someone love themselves, explore themselves, teach them about their bodies and say that, hey, sex and pain don't go together. Exactly. I mean, you taught me how to warm up with this um, like the like a rod thing. Uh, the pelvic wand. Yeah, the pelvic the pelvic wand. And we can link it below. But I didn't realize, just like lifting, we both work out. We are avid workouters. Why wouldn't we warm up with our bodies? And it's just such a simple, again, simple concept. I think past breathing and past diaphragm, it's like, I'm already doing that and I'm still experiencing pain. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's a combination of digestion and warming up, you know? And I think that's important to keep exploring, to keep learning because, yeah, that's an intimate thing as sex and to learn our bodies. Absolutely, for sure. And I think that we also tend to go right to something medically wrong or a disease or a syndrome. And those things do exist. There are nerve issues. There are hormone issues. But I encourage all of us to keep it simple first because yeah. that can definitely solve a lot of issues. Breathing is first. Learning how to breathe correctly and relax those muscles is first. Exploring your sexuality on your own and then involving your partner. Yeah. And then there are different tools within physical therapy that we can use together. And then you could ask more about diagnoses or something else more sinister going on, if you will. Yeah, I think that it's really, I think a huge thing too is to know that you're not alone, right? To know that there is nothing wrong with you. Like when I was, when James and I were having sex and it was painful, I'm like, oh, I just, I just need to be the better partner. I just need to be the partner that it's okay. That's his favorite position. It's okay if it's painful. And as it's not like he's being mean about it. And then I, you encouraged me to open up with him and share that this is not painful. And we connected and talked about, you know, let's let's think of it this way. There is nothing wrong with you. And the pain means something more than just the pain. Yes, exactly. And hopefully 
you figured out that it was about that full body situation yeah. and how everything's connected. Right. And if anybody has like a knot in their neck, no one is thinking, oh my gosh, something is wrong with me. They're like, wow, I probably am stressed out in my neck. And right. so to have that same perspective towards the pelvic floor muscles is what I hope everybody can have. And I don't want to say they're just other muscles because I think they're pretty cool, but they are just yeah. muscles. We can yeah. train them to relax. They can get tight. They can have a knot in them and we need to stretch them out and make them work better. And I think the mind-body connection is super big. So will you help listeners understand what the pelvic floor and the mind-body connection really, what's that about? Sure. Some of the things I've already touched on from a sense of what society has put in our brains, what we as individuals have previously experienced, whether that be just a negative connotation around our pelvic floor area, or if it is any sort of sexual trauma or abuse, all of that may seem more like the obvious connections of this makes sense why this is connected. But really, it's what we're it's what we're sitting on right now. It is the thing, the muscles that hold us up throughout the day. It is the muscles that need to stretch more than I think like 600 times their size to deliver a baby. Um, it's it's crazy yeah. what these muscles can do. And so, of course, they are intertwined with how our mind and body are functioning. And I don't know if anyone has ever clenched their teeth. Next time, notice what your butthole does. And if you notice as you clench your teeth, <laughs> your butthole just kind of also wrinkles. There's that connection right there to um, head and pelvic floor. So, so much of that tension is... I think, settling in the pelvic floor, if you will. And so working on that full body mind uh, to muscle connection can really help those pelvic floor muscles work better. And that that right there, I think when we are getting cognizant of our bodies and listening to our bodies and really knowing that when I do, because as you were saying that, I'm like, I clenched and yeah, everything is very connected. And it's more than what we know. It's more than just prepping your body for pregnancy or what I came, what I thought about pelvic floor therapy was, I don't have a baby yet and I'm having like when I sneeze, I pee a little bit and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm fearing pregnancy because I can't even hold a sneeze. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is, can be very alarming for people. And uh, there's research to show that uh, U of M uh, did a research study on its athletes and 80% of gymnasts and track athletes were already leaking. And that's that stress urinary incontinence form. So when you cough, sneeze, laugh, or jump, you're leaking a little bit of pee, that's stress urinary incontinence. And I want everyone to think about if you had a dumbbell and you were doing a bicep curl all day long, you just had to hold your arm in that bicep curl, just holding it still. And then at the end of the day, someone came up and tried to push your arm. There's no way you'd be able to hold that dumbbell anymore because mm. you'd be so fatigued and tight in that position from holding it all day long. That's what a lot of our pelvic floors are doing. So they are being held in that tight position all day long. And then when you cough or sneeze or jump, there's no way it can hold that position anymore. So it loses its pressure wow. and isn't able to uh, work the best for you. And it's crazy. I'm, I probably am part of that statistic. You're a gymnast. As a gymnast, we lift track and field. It makes sense that, you know, again, a lot of viewers don't even are having kids or second kids or like me prepping for pregnancy or just 
getting to know my body. I don't even want to say prepping for pregnancy, but it's, I'm just want to keep discovering my body and keep learning about myself. And I think a lot of the viewers are like that and they might have that leaky bladder. What is something someone can do with that specifically? I mean, society says, do your Kegels, do your Kegels. I, you already said no. Yeah. So again, my first answer is to work on your diaphragmatic breathing and yeah. relaxing those muscles. The first thing we need to do is get those pelvic floor muscles at the correct resting state. So mm. just resting throughout the day, not doing the Kegels, not doing the squeezes. And then we can work on that strength. But can you squeeze or do that bicep curl and let the weight back down? That's the key there in order to be able to squeeze when your body needs you to be able to squeeze. Right. And so when you say relax, it's just, it's just like a I like I'm sitting here and I'm like, I am relaxing. But how do you know if you're really relaxing? Because you said you we need to relax in order to when we do jump, then we squeeze, right? To hold the pee in. Correct. Yes. It can be really hard to tell if you're relaxing or not if this is the beginning of your pelvic floor exploration. So that can really be um, discovered or assessed well by a pelvic floor physical therapist. So I would highly suggest having a connection with one so that you can really tell if you're relaxed or not. But if you go ahead and try to squeeze your muscles and nothing happens, you might already be in that squeezed position. It's as if, again, you're holding that bicep curl really tight to your shoulder yeah. and someone tells you to do more of a bicep curl. It's not moving anywhere because it's already up there. So consider what that relax and that squeeze feels like when you try to do it. And so for those that are experiencing leaky bladder, like you said, it, you don't have to just be pregnant. You Correct. don't have to just have had a kid. Yes. You can be, again, I'm going to call myself out, but we are normal, right? I'm, yeah. I'm Nothing is mm -hmm. wrong with me. And when you really hit that home, when I, I mean, there's so many gems and again, these things I feel like should have been discussed in 101, but they weren't. But for those that are, again, experiencing a leaky bladder or when they jump or when they sneeze, it's, it's okay. Right. It is. It is okay. And there's people out there that can help you out, but you don't have to deal with it. So that's another saying that we like to say in pelvic floor is that it's common, but it's not normal. So there are plenty of people out there that are leaking when they cough, sneeze, or jump, no matter how old they are. But you do not have to live with that. You can definitely seek out help and seek out professionals that can help you along to figure out how your pelvic floor is working, how it's not working, and get you out of your pads and not leaking Seriously, when you jump anymore. Or like insecure, like I go to your hit class and there's a jumping section, at least that's for me. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to need surgery. I need to sew myself up. And then it's like, Megan, you're like, no, we just need <laughs> mm -hmm. a strength. And like, again, I want to, I might sound like a broken record, but we aren't alone. And again, it does come down to my breathing, our breathing. I get so worked up in my mind and create a rabbit hole. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to make it. I get stressed. I do this. And again, if I go back to square one is how am I breathing right now? Mm -hmm. And what's your mind and your heart rate doing? Is your breath rate, your respiratory rate really increasing really fast? And that all heightens that nervous system. We talked earlier about that importance of rest and digest, that calm, relaxed state. Well, you just described more of that fight or flight, that like go, 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 heart rate is going. And that also increases the urge to pee. So that can be counterintuitive to 
control your pelvic floor if you're kind of freaking out about it. So definitely want to work with a pelvic floor physical therapist to figure out what your pelvic floor muscles are doing. Are they sitting at more of that tightened state? Um, And can they squeeze and relax fully? I'm just going to completely do a 360 around this because the episode is coming to an almost end. But let's talk about healthcare providers. Yeah. So we talked about pelvic floor physical therapists. We talked a little bit about gastroenterologists, that GI person. But I'm sure plenty of you have had experiences with your primary care physicians, with your OB-GYNs. And I'm here to tell you, if they are not treating you well, if they are telling you some of this false information, fire them. You have hired them. They are your providers that are supposed to be caring for you. You can fire them. You can go and see a different person. Now, of course, insurance puts a little wrench in a lot of those conversations. But if you have the ability to fire your provider, you absolutely should because they should be giving you evidence-based care and sound advice that is encouraging, not just telling you false information. And I think that's so big because it's like, oh my gosh, this is my doctor. I need to stay with them. They know more than me. What do I know? But I also have to go back to that feeling of, you know, if we connect, we connect. Like, you know, when you instantly meet someone, you vibe, you get along. I really believe in applying that philosophy to our doctors. If you don't get along or they're talking down to you or you just feel completely inadequate sometimes because they do use a lot of doctor lingo to, I feel, maybe not everyone, but power up. And not every doctor is like that. But again, if you go back to that feeling, correct me if I'm wrong, Megan, is, well, yeah, one, you can let them go. But two, you know, deep down like that feeling of, eh, I don't know how I feel about this doctor. Yeah, absolutely. If you are not being treated like you are the expert because you are the expert in your own body, then it is not worth scheduling a follow-up with them. Perfect. And then the last one I wanted to... <laughs> you, So I give um, the viewers a questionnaire or um, guess a questionnaire. And you said, it's always a good time for ice cream. And that's one of your sayings. Yes. And I just want you to drop a gem really quick. Well, first off, uh, it's always a good time for ice cream, no matter how cold it's getting. It's cold here in Illinois this morning, and I'd still go for some ice cream. And ice cream is my favorite food. And so I just feel like the sentiment of it's always a good time for your favorite food, because it's always a good time to add a little pleasure to your life and a little moment of reflection to be like, "Mm, this tastes good or wearing your favorite shirt or going to your favorite spot outdoors, it's always a good time to add in that little piece of pleasure in your day. Yeah. And I think that that adds that element of, you know, we are getting so serious, like life can get so serious. But there's like you said, there's always time for ice cream. And if you're like me, that's dairy free, then maybe it's just indulgent fruit. Or maybe it's me. I'm like into my sourdough bread making era right now. But it's, it's again, finding that peace for you and bringing that joy and seeking that joy and working for that joy. You know, mm-hmm. it could be, oh my gosh, I went an hour long without going to the bathroom. That There's your ice there's cream. There's your joy. You didn't you know have to it, think about going to the bathroom. <laughs> right. But I think that when we make that time to celebrate those little wins or the, make the time to make a win, I think that's really huge. And to lastly end up, where can people find you? Where can people follow you, contact you if they have questions? Yeah. All the so, above. Um, my title is Megan Jensen, and I'm at Vitality Women's Physical Therapy in Elmhurst, Illinois. We have two locations. Our other location is in uh, the city of Chicago in Lakeview. But I'd love to come and work with you in Elmhurst. And you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Meg underscore DPT. All right, you guys, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right, guys, there you have it. While pelvic floor health may seem like a women's issue, the topics we discussed actually pertain to people of all genders. 
For men listening in, strengthening your pelvic floor can also improve sexual function and reduces issues like premature ejaculation. And as partners, it's important for everyone to understand how factors like stress, breathing, and muscle tension impact intimate relationships. My hope is that this conversation helps normalize these subjects and encourages open communication between all people and their healthcare providers, regardless of gender. It's clear that there is still so much work to be done to normalize pelvic health and prioritize pleasure. But specialists like Megan give me hope that change is happening. I encourage you to be your own advocate, learn about your amazing body, and don't be afraid to speak up about what truly feels good. I'm sure so many of you still have questions about our fascinating discussion, and the truth is we could barely scratch the surface on everything Megan had to share. I'm thrilled to announce that we'll be having Megan back as a repeat guest to dive deeper, even deeper. In our next episode, she'll demonstrate exercises you can start doing today to relieve tension or even strengthen your pelvic muscles. We'll also get more practical advice for improving intimacy with partners. So don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss part two of our conversation with Megan Jensen. And please do spread the word. Who knows how many people are suffering silently because they just don't know it doesn't have to be that way. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be kind to yourself and each other down there. See you next time. I hope today's episode left you better than when I found you. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and tune in every Monday to kickstart your week and set your weekly intentions with me. You can find me and HFH on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok or online at heycourtneybrook.com. I firmly believe in the power of sharing. If you know someone else who would benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. And remember, when you work on you, I get to be there. Thank you.